Do you know what TLA stands for? The Last Adventure. It's an Ian Jones movie, part of the trilogy. TLA actually stands for three-letter acronyms. Oh, man. There's a three-letter acronym that stands for three-letter acronyms? CRMs, EMRs, EHRs. ICU. CMS. PPC, SEO, SEM. IMO. When you use DAE, TBH, you're really being redundant. FTW. SMH. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. All right, welcome to episode number 118 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Good evening to you, Reed. How are you today? Doing great. Excited about this one. This is a pretty neat episode. You know, you and I both got into Twitter at a very young age of Twitter, not, not us necessarily, but of Twitter. And so we actually saw the advent of hashtags. And so you know, we'll talk a little bit about taxonomy, hashtags, and kind of what all that means in our world should be an interesting conversation. Yeah, it promises to be a really interesting episode today, that's for sure. But before we get into the episode, we want to remind people to jump out to our website, touchpoint.health, learn a little bit more about all the different episodes that we do, as well as all the different podcasts that are on our network. There's a lot of great content, a lot of great shows that are out there. And we also want to, before we jump into the show, take a quick pause to hear from one of our sponsors. So let's do that right now. Using powerful AI-driven algorithms, Loyal's Guide helps patients along every step of their journey, from choosing a doctor and finding the nearest location to signing up for an event or clinical trial. Whether you are using Guide's chatbot, live chat, or the powerful combination of both, Loyal's engaging platform integrates seamlessly into your system maximizes efficiency, and improves patients' digital experience. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit them online at loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. That is loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. As this world expands, much like anything else, you've got to come up with some way to relate, communicate, all those types of things. And I think that's where, obviously, as we think of hashtags, not in the ironic way, but the useful way, you know, it wasn't invented by Twitter, right? And it kind of came about as, as a users creating ways to have conversations. Taxonomy and hashtags really are, I guess what I, I would like to define them as like the semantic aspects of the digital world that we're in. And I know a, a couple episodes ago, Reed, we uh, actually had a conversation and deep dive into structured content, which is important. And taxonomy and hashtags are kind of related to structured content, but they're really focusing on something a little bit different. And that's how I came across this concept of they're the semantics of digital. What does that mean? What, what, what's semantic? That's a good question. Dictionary.com. And they uh, had a definition. Here's the official definition of semantic. 
of or relating to meaning or the study of meaning. Wow. So semantic comes from the word for significant and has to do with, let's say, for example, the word dog actually means that furry pet that people have and all others like them. The whole concept of semantic is that you're defining words that actually give meaning to something much broader, much more significant behind it. When you think about like taxonomy and you think about hashtags, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It does, because it does give context. That, that's interesting. Okay. So I guess let's talk a little bit about, we've mentioned taxonomy, right? And, and hashtags, but it's a little bit broader than that even, or there's kind of a structured way to look at how we do this, right? Yeah, there is. Taxonomy, hashtags, all of these things are very technical terms and they're very, and at a certain aspect, they come from development language or development, the way the way things are kind of coded when you're building a website or when you're working on digital properties, so to speak. I found this article, Reed, that's called Taxonomy, Metadata, Tags, and Controlled Vocabularies. Now, those are four very technical terms that are related. And I thought maybe we start first start with that and kind of go through the definition of each one. Sounds good. So to kick things off, taxonomy which you mentioned several times, is a collection of terms that are used to organize into some sort of a structure that provides, back to your point, the semantic understanding of those terms. For example, the example they use here, where turkey falls beneath food in a hierarchy, right? So you've got food and then all the things underneath that. You know, in this case, obviously, we're talking about turkey, the dish, not the bird or the country. For that matter, it's a structured way that that gives meaning based on kind of the hierarchy of terms. That's right. One great example of that is if you go to Amazon, which all of us tend to do and start to drill down the different menus of Amazon. Amazon is structured in a very taxonomic way in that first start with, let's say, home goods, and then you drill down to maybe food products under home goods. And then under food products under home goods, there you can get to Turkey, for example. That's a very hierarchical taxonomic way to structure data. And Amazon didn't start all of this. In fact, it started well before then. If you recall, right, some of the earlier web browsers like Yahoo, actually, at the very beginning, before there was actually search engines where you can actually type in words, what would happen is you just had a list of different things. Oh, sure. And then you sure, clicked yeah. on something and they drilled down, right? Right, right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, past taxonomy, they, they also talk about metadata. And we know this from those of us that have spent any time around websites. We start talking a lot about metadata, right? Uh, but th- these are terms, uh, numeric values, or any other information that describes a piece of contents, status, location, physical attributes, etc., so what are some, some some common thoughts around that? Well, because metadata is used a lot when you're doing search engine optimization or SEO, mm-hmm. you know, because it's important. Metadata is what people used originally to really tell and educate Google what content is on their site. Now, Google would first came out, Google would look at your site, but it didn't wasn't so sophisticated enough to kind of read through the content and put semantic meaning to that content. So a lot of people, they would use in websites metadata for keywords that basically said, hey, by the way, Google or whatever search engine looking here, this is about these particular topics or these particular things. So like on a hospital website, it could be these are pages around the hospital's locations or, or you know physical places, sure. whereas these are about physicians or doctors, that sort of thing. 
Now, that's not to, however, be confused with tags, right, which are terms that are assigned to content to help identify the content. In most cases, the tags themselves, they're used without really any respect to any sort of hierarchical consideration. So it's just a descriptor, if you will. Yeah, a lot of people use those on blogs. Like you're when you're writing a blog, WordPress would put a, a place where you could put all these tags. It's just words that you can use to kind of associate with that content that's there, but it's not hierarchical within the overall structure of, of the site itself. At least it wasn't in the past. It's starting to be now. And then the last thing, which is really complicated, is this concept called controlled vocabularies. Now, do you know what that is? No clue. I have no idea what that means. This is a very programmatic, like for programmers, the way they they uh, use this term, it's actually a collection of standardized or agreed upon terms that are used to identify content. Those are controlled vocabularies. So this article puts all of this in a different way, in a way that makes it a little bit less programmatic and more like structured against how people can sometimes interpret words. Let's go through the way they describe it. They say a tag is just a term, right? Or a word or a phrase, no context. It's just a tag. You, you can tag anything with a word or a phrase. Yep. And then, you know, building on that, it's interesting kind of how these build a little bit. But anyway, building on that, uh, a vocabulary is made up of multiple terms. Mm-hmm. Like you group those together. And then a taxonomy is a tree-like structure that provides some kind of semantic understanding of the terms that are within it. So taxonomy is more of a framework of vocabulary and tags. Absolutely. And then metadata, like we talked about before, is a way that we describe it all. A lot of times, you know, when when people are looking at, people don't really look at metadata. It's really other computers, other search engines, other pieces of technology that really read metadata. Why is this so important for us to talk about this? Number one, it's helpful to be on the same page. I think it's important that uh, we have a way that these things all fit together so we know how to roll out information and content in a way that allows people to find it in in a uh, personalized way and ultimately allows the technology out there, search engines, all the new voice uh, systems and things like that to be able to access and, and deliver the content. To Again, to deliver on that promise of structured data, taxonomy and tags and metadata and all, the, all of this stuff is really a way, is that additional data that you put around your content on your site to show anybody, any be it a, a person, be it a computer technology, be it whatever, to be able to sort through that data and make the, the meaningful sense of it and get to that quicker. And so it's really important when you're looking at um, starting to build out your new digital content and all the stuff that you're doing, that you embrace taxonomy. And so to that end, I thought maybe you and I could talk a little bit about a high-level framework that people can use around taxonomy. We're going to get a lot deeper in our in our interview a little bit later, but this high-level framework might be important for us to at least hit on. So I think obviously by, by sheer definition, this should be obvious, but I think it's worth stating that uh, consistency is key. So we want to make sure that when we're when we create the hierarchy and then ultimately you know tag the content that it's the same you know whether that be site by site department by department you know whatever it may be uh, but across all the different channels that you have not just web social email any other you know especially uh, communication channels you may may be using 
And I'm starting to see this a lot more, Reed, now that we're starting to, now that we're building content for our digital channels that go past the marketing department, that maybe operations is tagging a little bit differently or wants to see that data differently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the consistency becomes more important as marketing becomes more important to the organization. Absolutely. The second part about this is while you're doing some taxonomy, you have to make sure that you're not using too many taxonomic tags or you're not structuring the data too much, but you're not doing too little either. You got to kind of find the right balance for the particular medium that you're in. I've been on some websites where they have just over architected the taxonomy on the site. And by doing so, it actually makes the search engine results a little wonky sometimes. Like if you have too many tags, then no matter what you search for, it's going to return everything. That's right. <laughs> okay. It just returns a lot and, and everything stays the same, right? Right. It's like you, you've over, to your point, architected or um, you, know, you over described everything to a point that no matter what people search for, they're getting too much return to them. Next would be to uh, focus on the user. Again, may sound uh, common, but you're doing this for the consumer, right? You're doing this for the end user. Think about it in that way, whether that's actually just you thinking about it or bringing people in that will help give a perspective or a point of view, because what you want to do is actually put yourself in that position and making sure that when you do type in that search, it's not returning everything on the site that you have it you know, oversaturated. Focusing on the user will will kind of put you in a, in a unique place to make sure that you're doing it the right way. And another important thing there too is that you don't use words that maybe the users don't use. To avoid those those TLAs, those three letter acronyms that we have as in the health systems. Uh, avoid all of those different you know internal terms and words that we use. I remember on on one website I was working on, the number one website that kept popping up was for a, a patient wellness page, which actually was mis categorize as patient wellness. That's because we're using a series of other words in the taxonomy that associated to the search engine is this is patient wellness when those two words were absolutely not the same on that one page. It's weird. The last thing to, that's important is prioritization because tagging is really a time-consuming effort if you go through and you start to build out the structure of your taxonomy. So it's really important when you're going into it to make sure you're prioritizing and maximizing your time by evaluating the content that really needs that higher level of tagging. For example, content that's going to be around, evergreen content that's going to be around for a long time, and lightly tagging those areas where it might have sort of a, a shorter shelf life, so to speak, like blog posts and things like that. All right. Well, those are a few things that I think, again, consistency, striking a balance, focusing on the end user and prioritization that will allow you to uh, at least kind of start down that path of you know, knowing what taxonomy should and shouldn't be within your organization. And so after we hear a word from our sponsor, Reed, I think that's good. Maybe with the second part of our conversation could focus in on the hashtag and where it Ooh. came from and how people are using hashtags. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Spire, a full-service digital marketing agency focused on complex and highly regulated industries of healthcare, senior living, and financial services. Rapid changes in the healthcare industry are causing consumers to seek out trusted advice, demand more transparency and access to information and content. With over 30 years of healthcare experience, Blue Spire knows how to help you reach, 
communicate with, and gain trust from these consumers. We help you engage with the right content at every touchpoint, from the first symptom search to appointment scheduling through care management. Visit us at bluesfiremarketing.com to learn how we can help you deliver relevant, engaging content through ever-changing touchpoints that matter. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about uh, everyone's favorite topic, the hashtag. And I did the little pound symbol with my fingers, kind of, <laughs> kind of like you would do air quotes or whatever. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, like like we mentioned earlier, this was not something that was created via you know Twitter proper, so to speak, but it was created on Twitter by just users. And so the first hashtag, August the 23rd, 2007. Whoa. That was probably what, like that was 10, 12 years ago? 10, 11 months into Twitter's existence. No, 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 no. About six months in. Sorry. So they launched in, in March of 2007 at South by Southwest. So uh, this is this is August. So anyway, uh, by a gentleman named Chris Messina. Before this, the hash or, you know, commonly viewed, I guess, is the pound symbol. Should we pause and tell the millennials on a phone there used to be a pound symbol down at the... <laughs> I actually, I actually have a T-shirt that's the the hashtag or pound symbol, and it's said the symbol formerly known as pound. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but apparently, it, it was used in various ways around the web previously, just not not on Twitter. Um, and so he had that suggestion, i.e., he put out a tweet about you know how about we use this uh, as a way to kind of tag groups, if you will. Bar camp was something that was very popular back then. Uh, and so that's kind of what he was referencing. He wanted to incorporate those hashtags in, into the current use of Twitter so that when people that are using Twitter, which at that time was mostly SMS or instant messaging clients, could interact with those hashtags and, and wouldn't require any kind of like heavy handed web management system or web based management system to set them up. He has this quote, right, that he says, when I made my initial proposal, Twitter didn't have the track feature. Secondly, he was looking to solve some pretty specific problems, largely related to grouping and to filtering and amplifying intent. For example, when you're making general statements, appending an additional tag or two might help others better understand the intent of that tweet. Makes sense. It kind of makes its way towards an ironic use in, in a lot of cases now, however. I think what's interesting too is, so I created a hashtag that's still in use. I mean, you can't really own a hashtag. There's, that's not really a thing. But I, I did create one, the HCMKTG, the healthcare marketing hashtag that's still used uh, a decent amount, is one that I created based around a weekly Twitter chat. Uh, one of our former guests and good friends, Dana Lewis, HCSM healthcare social media uh, hashtag that she created that also coincided with a weekly uh, tweet chat, and so it's uh, it's interesting to see some of these things continue to live on because it is it's giving context to what it is. So maybe you're sharing an article on Twitter, you tag it with uh, maybe it's HCSM or HCMKTG or HCLDR, like the healthcare leader one or something like that, uh, because you're trying to. Number one, notify those people that are in that, you know, in that world, if you will, that, hey, this is something relevant to you. And so you're, you're giving it some context. 
it's not only used for just to add context, it's also can be used in, in other ways too. So for example, you mentioned like you created these hashtags around a particular tweet chat, right? That's like a conversation. I know that in my, um, I actually use uh, Hootsuite and when I manage all my, you know, my Twitter and everything else, I have a variety of different columns that are set up around these particular conversational hashtags because really what I'm interested in is understanding what people are talking about with that particular hashtag in that conversational thread. And it allows me to, even if I don't have anything meaningful to maybe contribute, to at least follow along with that conversation and and start to participate in that online conversation. There's a lot of great ones out there. And obviously this is, you certainly can tweet without using a hashtag, right? I would say most people that do not use them, that probably coincides with larger followings. You think that's fair? I mean, obviously at the very end of the spectrum is like super famous people, right? That just tweet out random stuff. You know, they're going to get get enough traction. But for most people working in a specific industry, you know, hashtags are very useful, certainly. They're useful in the way that they're, they have some, a semantical meaning to social media conversations. And that's like kind of tying now taxonomy and hashtags together, if you think about it. Taxonomy is a little bit more structured and what the way we talked about is like a tree structure, so to speak. But hashtags really have started to define a semantical vocabulary that is used in on social platforms. And it's gone past now just Twitter. It's reaching into multiple different other platforms because, of course, you know, we can hashtag on Instagram, which is another place where hashtags are used prevalently. Is that a good thing? I mean, I know I, I would I would I would say on Instagram that that probably is relevant. But, you know, we, we saw first, I guess, after after uh, Twitter was, it, you know, it crept into Facebook. Does anybody use hashtag? I mean, is that a, is that a useful thing? You know, it's still there and you can still use it. I don't know a lot of people that are actually using hashtags on Facebook. Maybe it's fallen out of favor, so to speak. Is that because maybe the algorithm on Facebook is a little bit different and hashtags really don't become important to it anymore? I don't know. I'm just not sure that's the way anybody uses the platform. I think that's kind of the the crux of this is... A lot of people use Twitter very specifically following feeds around topics. You know, you know what I mean? Like you're not going to, I mean, certainly you have, you know, a similar, for lack of a better term, news feed on, on all these platforms. You know, you just kind of log in and there it is based on who it is that you follow and, and advertising and, and things like that. But I just, I don't think, I, number one, I, I think... It was created on Twitter, like we talked about previously. Therefore, it probably works best there because that's where it originated. But Instagram does does work pretty well. I don't ever use it on Facebook or LinkedIn. Like I don't ever click on a ha- you know a hashtag or whatever. This is my theory because right now Facebook and Instagram they're kind of tied together as two ecosystems because they're in the same company so to speak right even though Facebook is making very active movement to to make those feel like separate platforms they're still the same but 
Twitter is a whole different entity into itself, a whole different ecosystem, a whole different audiences sometimes. And while you may have be on Facebook and on Twitter, I don't think you think about conversations spreading between the two. And then LinkedIn is a whole different audience group as well. And the reason why I think that hashtags are not catching on to these other social platforms is because they're not tied together. There's no consistency across these platforms. And there's no tool that searches hashtags across all platforms in a consistent way. Yeah, it seems like that, there would be something more prevalent to that point. That's just odd to me, you know, that you can't get a better feel for, you know, what's being said. And two, I don't think people really view it right. Because again, I like, like, for example, you know, the healthcare marketing, healthcare leader, healthcare social media, whatever it is, those different hashtags. I use Twitter for from a business standpoint. I don't use Facebook that way or Instagram. So I'm not going to look at those hashtags on those platforms. Like the, the hashtags are almost platform specific for me. It's not like there's a great big search engine like uh, Google or whatever that's kind of demanding that there's consistency. Although Google does, don't get me wrong, Google does search uh, for hashtags for sure. But again, it's not like there's that consistency or there's not like a social media management system that enforces a consistency across hash of hashtags across all these platforms. Unlike let's say a content management system for a website. But if you go back to the framework for taxonomy and site tagging read, remember the four things? Well, you had, um, the idea of consistency, right? Uh, stri- striking a balance. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have too much, if you will. Focusing on the end user, and then you know, some level of prioritization. Now, I would argue that if you look at a good hashtag strategy for one platform or for multiple platforms, that you probably should adopt the same framework. Does that make sense? Consistency. So you're using a hashtag, let's say on Facebook, the same way you'd be using it on LinkedIn. If there was a need for that, if there's a need goes to the prioritization striking a balance though. And then focusing on the user, if people aren't using hashtags on that platform to search or to sort data, then maybe that isn't important to the user. Do you think that's why we are and are not using hashtags the way we are? At least probably to some degree. I mean, I think it's just, uh, again, with it being industry specific, that tends to lend itself towards like a business conversation. I don't know that we're, I just don't know that it's matured enough from like a LinkedIn standpoint. You know, Twitter, people are just used to that. Like that's just the way they operate. Well, I think, I think that one thing that I do know about hashtags is, is, the way we're actually using them is continually evolving and continuing to be different. So in a year from now, two years, whatever, we may be using hashtags consistently across more platforms than we are today. If we want to listen to our good friend, Josh, who is from uh, HealthWise, he's going to talk a lot about how taxonomy is used in, in the hospitals and health systems he, he is in. And he kind of alludes to the fact that maybe hashtags are also part of the same ecosystem. So let's give that a listen. Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, 
and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment, uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement, manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about Binary Health Analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast. And today I am excited to talk to my good friend, Josh Schley. Uh, Josh is with HealthWise. Um, Josh and I have kind of known each other. We've been professional peers for quite a while. And recently we've had a couple of good conversations on the phone. And I said to him the other day, we should get you onto the show to talk about uh, your point of view on this particular topic. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. Appreciate you having me. You and I know each other, but maybe a lot of our listeners, they may not know who you are. Do you want to start off by giving a little bit of introduction about yourself? Absolutely. So I actually started in the media industry of all places, uh, did operations, content development, marketing uh, for a number of omni-channel media properties. Uh, Scripps, actually, their media arm was where I was at for a, a good deal of years and, and then moved into healthcare found a lot of inspiration working in the healthcare environment, and I wanted to be closer to where patient care was provided. And more specifically, I wanted to bring uh, a little bit of business transformation and marketing transformation to the healthcare world. I had done a little bit of that in, in media, and there's a lot of opportunity. Obviously, you guys talk about this every show where there's just a ton of opportunity in the healthcare space to make things better for patients, to make things better for the community. And through my time at, uh, at as part of Trinity Health at St. Alphonsus Health System, which is uh, serves Idaho and Oregon, got to know uh, from a, a, a general level how the system operated, uh, got my Master of Health Administration to learn a little bit more just of, of, of how uh, I could best market and how I could best bring the marketing approach that uh, produced the most results. Uh, and then recently, um, because I found such a passion in, in bringing new technology and new business models into healthcare, I moved to HealthWise about a year ago, and we are a, a technology company that produces patient engagement and patient education materials and tools that integrate into EHRs. We also have a, uh, a stack of marketing products that essentially integrate into websites to provide infrastructure and uh, health information content uh, specific to diseases, topics, procedures, symptoms, those sorts of things. And what I thought was really interesting when I got here to HealthWise was they had something called a taxonomy. Coming from St. Alphonsus Health System, where I was uh, previously, it was a major issue that we faced every time that we wanted to uh, really assess the infrastructure of our website and look at how our service lines structured on our website, how are concepts flowing together, what is the flow of a visitor on our website, what is the click path, and how do I optimize that even better, and also have that inform my search engine marketing strategy. So I thought it would be interesting if, uh, if we talked a little bit about taxonomy and what exactly that means. Well, yeah, taxonomy, that is a mouthful. I've heard that word used a lot over the last, I don't know, 
12, 15 years I've been in the industry here. When you look at taxonomy in a very simple way, people think of it as how you relate content to one another using like maybe tags or categories like you do on a blog post. But that's really not exactly what it is, right? So taxonomy, as you would learn back in biology and in college, is really classifying groups of in science is classifying organisms, right? So that may be the last time you've heard the the term taxonomy, but there's really two terms here. The taxonomy is classifying uh, items and information in a way that is hierarchical, that is sensical, but there's also something called ontology. Have you heard of this concept ontology before? I've heard about it, but not in the relationship of websites. So ontology is actually a set of concepts around those classifications. So how do these things actually relate to each other in a dynamic way? So really the the thing you can think of, the difference between taxonomy and ontology, taxonomy is sort of a static hierarchy of classifications, and ontology is much more dynamic than that. So for example, when you use a Google search engine, you're actually using a taxonomy as well as an ontology to relate to similar concepts and how all of these things work together is ontology, which, by the way, is a super nerdy philosophy term that means the nature of being, which is super helpful, I'm sure. We just went real deep, real quick. <laughs> Let's maybe jump back just for a second here. Okay, so when I'm thinking about, and I'm going to put it in the context of, of when you're talking about HealthWise with patient education, a really simple project that we're working on right now is really integrating our patient library to be federated across our website. What I mean by that is we have this great a silo of information that's this, this patient library that our patient education people created. But right now, you have to go to the special place to kind of search for it. So what I want to do is I want to kind of try to correlate that. If you're looking on our website for cardiac services, I want to relate that information to it. So tell me in that construct, how does taxonomy and ontology work together? This is previously how HealthWise was really founded and the way it operated for a long time was a health encyclopedia. And everybody has a health encyclopedia on their website. We recognized pretty quickly that the future going forward is not a consolidated encyclopedia of health education and information. Really, you want to relate that to other concepts through a taxonomy, through a classification. Not only do you want to relate the concepts, but you want to make sure that those things act together in a dynamic way so that when people are perusing a website, then it's responsive. So a good example of this is the code sets that are prevalent across healthcare. So you look at things like DRGs or ICD-10 or SNOMED, low ink for laboratory, those sorts of things. You can use those sorts of taxonomies, each one of those, by the way, a taxonomy in itself, to relate those to concepts that consumers will want to find. A good example of this would be NUCC codes. NUCC codes are actually codes, it's a taxonomy based on specialty, area of specialty, grouping and classification of providers. It's where NPIs come from, the National Provider Index, right? So um, NPIs actually are the individual codes associated with individual providers well, the, the higher level of that is the NUCC code. Well, a lot of people have used the NUCC codes to relate patient education concepts with the specialty of the individual and their NPI. Internally to your website, 
you could relate the credentialing database to a specific NUCC specialty grouping classification. And then on the other end, if you have patient education or patient information, or maybe you have other concepts outside of that related to those specialties, you can actually have all of those things surface in the right way so that you're not having to edit static pages over and over again. Uh, Instead, you have these things surfacing in an ontology or a state of being that is natural and seamless for for the consumer to try to navigate. Like if a person goes to, let's say they're looking at their find a doctor and they're searching for an interventional cardiologist and they jump on their their page, what you're saying is, is that content that might be related to that specialty type will dynamically appear on that page as sort of related content. Is that what you're getting at? That plus the ability to have more of an Amazon-like approach to your website. So, for example, um, a, ta- a good taxonomy and all relating all of these and mapping all of these concepts together um, can allow you to have a you might also be interested in sort of thing. So when you go to Amazon, you see those great shoes you like, and then you might also be interested in these other shoes that maybe are a little bit nicer, a little less expensive, or whatever it might be. Similar to that, there should be something similar on on a healthcare website relative to type 2 diabetes. You might also be interested in diabetes courses. You might also be interested in how insulin is, is administered. You might also be interested in these classes happening near you. Now, if you have the right taxonomy on the back end, the infrastructure is right, then you should be able to surface these things in a dynamic, real time way. I always say that when you're looking at a web page, you're only looking at about 50% of the content that's on that web page because, because the other 50% is really telling the rest of the website how this content relates to the other content on the site. Is that kind of your, your thoughts around this as well? Absolutely. And, and what I'm really focused in on is what's the, the middleware between all of these code sets and all of these pieces of raw data that we get across a health system that are incredibly confusing and not really consumer focused. So an ICD is a great example, right? How do I relate that to my actual consumer? Well, an ICD probably uh, relative to diabetes needs to be related to concepts like, what are the decisions around diabetes that need to be made? How do I live with diabetes? What are the risks? How do I prevent diabetes? What are the tests and treatments? Those sorts of things that a consumer is going to be asking are really important to be able to connect the more clinical concepts, ICDs and NPI codes, things like that, uh, so that you can create a seamless experience for the patient, but also you can represent your health system in a way that uh, that encompasses all the things you want to promote. I think a lot of organizations, they, they spend a lot of time with their content strategy trying to come up with this information and, and trying to figure out, you know, what exactly is the intent of the user when they come to the site? What are How do we answer those questions more readily? What you're saying is, is that you could build on the back end, this is sort of like back end content strategy. You're, what you're doing is you're building an infrastructure to support that. So if you're creating, let's say your specialist is creating a, a good patient education piece around some of the warning signs of diabetes, you could start to surface that on your website. But then in addition, even your patient portal, is that what I heard? You're, you're working in patient portals to do this? Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the 
A good example of this would be if Dr. Smith, the orthopedic surgeon, um, is found via the find a physician tool, which is fed maybe from the credentialing database. Well, when a patient comes upon that that uh, that that site, what we see uh, in a lot of the health systems, and I'm sure you could probably relate, is all it says is where Dr. Smith went to school and maybe what his specialty is and maybe a phone number and a map, right? Well, wouldn't it be helpful to have additional information uh, surface around what is Dr. Smith's technology and what are the sorts of things I can expect if I have surgery from Dr. Smith? These sorts of things are going to be difficult to be able to manually create. So if you're doing these websites, we experienced it all the time. Uh, when I was working in the health system, is that we had this mass of pages. We had, uh, and and this maybe to larger health systems is nothing, but I believe we had around 10,000 individual pages, which is just crazy. A lot of static pages, a lot of things to have to update. We've experienced in talking with health systems across the country, headless CMSs are becoming, the headless content management system is becoming more and more prevalent, even amongst the medium-sized health systems. Essentially, what that is, is you're, you're producing content as a service. You're connecting all of these different disparate content systems, credentialing database being one, maybe your patient and health education and ed- engagement vendor and another. Um, you're also connecting all of your custom content and your custom documents from your traditional content management system. And you're putting them in this headless CMS that can dynamically create these things. And it's not an easy transition to make. Um, it's one that uh, we were just on the journey on as, as I moved into uh, the software uh, industry here. But uh, it is one that I know that a lot of health systems are on. That sounds great and ideal but i tell you i've worked in a lot of cmss and that's that's hard you know if you're starting down this path if you don't have your content structured that way what do you think is going to be some of the challenges that you know hospitals if they start to go down this path that they're going to face by uh, looking at their content this way i think that uh, the challenges are twofold it's first of all the technical challenges of trying to visualize uh, how the the patients will will go through the click path uh, to, to reach the information that you need. And in looking at the data, it's difficult, right? I, I know you guys were talking a couple of shows ago about there, there is this report and people still look at page views as if it's something to strive for, right? Well, clearly the, the, the right data is needs to be scrutinized very carefully. So time on site, maybe also not a great measure of how well you're engaging people. If they're spending too long, maybe they're not getting the information that they need right right away when they come to the, the page. Uh, too many clicks, too many pages. I think taking a really holistic look at the data behind how people are engaging with your website, how you would like to structure uh, the, the, the actual data behind the metadata behind the content so that things are surfaced appropriately. Another challenge I, I, I think a lot of people will face and something that I faced was, all right, so if I have determined my information architecture, I have connected all these taxonomies together with the content that I want to surface and the physicians and the find a physician that I want to surface. Then what does my search engine marketing strategy look like from that? I want to make sure that my quality score is as high as it can be so that the content that's on my pay-per-click ad relates to the content on the site that I'm driving to. If I'm running, uh, you know, a hundred 
search campaigns? How can I make sure that, that that data is going to be relevant? And how can I make sure that I can increase the kind of conversion that I want to have? Okay, so that's a lot. And then, you know, I can even probably extend that further in a complex way to say if you if you start to track that patient journey past just converting them to becoming a patient, but then serving them up health information along, you know, post-discharge and engaging with them along the way, suddenly this becomes a very complex model. Absolutely. And you talk about a lot of these bedside uh, inpatient systems too. I mean, you, you know, Epic has MyChart bedside, you have Cerner's MyStation. In, in trying to uh, get the data out of that and have sort of a, a continuous one-to-one journey across admission or patient visit all the way through to discharge and care management, that's difficult. Well, so you just roll up your sleeves, six months, you do a really good job, and you're set and done, right? I mean, that's it. You just have to do this once, right? (laughs) The reality is, I think that taxonomies specifically, because code sets are pretty, to the most, to to a large extent, pretty static, at least the healthcare code sets. I mean, big changes from ICD-9 to ICD-10, for example, a lot more codes. But you're going to see, there's not going to be a ton of change in those areas. Where you will see a ton of change is how you relate those to consumer concepts. So again, those things like how it's treated and what I'm going to experience and the decisions I need to make around that specific ICD code for diabetes, for example, those things are going to be changing and consistently informed by the data that you and other industry experts are going to be able to put together uh, over the course of time. That's not to mention also that the, probably there are changes with the consumers when they start to search for this data, depending on when they enter in the patient journey, depending on when they start to look at your website. I mean, we, we like to think that, you know, there's a, a very linear patient journey, but there are multiple ways that people can actually access this data. I can imagine that, you know, you could get very, very nuanced if you do it right in a way so that you're, can, you're addressing their needs at various stages of the customer journey. The one thing that I was uh, that I would always look at, and I know that a lot of marketers are are looking at these sorts of things, but um, if you go in and you look at maybe some of the the keyword volume trends on Google, and and just kind of look for common concepts that that keep popping up, um, I, I think you'll get a good idea as to generally what are the things happening in my area. But then clearly, you're going to want to make sure to respond on your own website, having healthcare specific insights relative to website data. I mean, it's not one-to-one with e-commerce and that's what's so difficult and challenging about this. I mean, e-commerce, you can talk about selling widgets, right? Healthcare is just not the same way. So how do you actually draw an insight from time on site or from a patient click journey through a, a visit on the website to you know reach a phone call or perhaps provide a review on one of the physicians. It's difficult to be able to apply the context of healthcare on those things. I, I guess the answer to this is AI, right? I mean, AI solves all these problems, I, right? I think so. <laughs> I keep hearing that it's going to solve all our problems. No, you know, it's it's super interesting. You know, health-wise, where I'm at now, we have have been producing uh, patient uh, focus software and patient engagement and education materials for f- around 40 years and, and software specifically for about 15 to 20. 
And so we have an incredible amount of data as to how people are interacting with patient education, how clinicians are giving out health information and education engagement tools. Some of the conditions that rise to the top of the list are fascinating. So for example, we actually provided uh, one of the first symptom checkers uh, out there that was available on the web and it was used a lot. We still have people that use that on a daily basis as far as some of the health plans and, and health systems that uh, that access our, our content. But what would you think would be the number one condition that people are actually looking at a symptom checker for? I'll take a guess. Um, pregnancy? Something around pregnancy? Actually, the very first, the top uh, condition is anxiety. Anxiety on a symptom checker. So that is the the number one uh, area in which the symptom checkers are are accessed and actually gone through to figure out. You know, these are what we think you might be struggling with. So it, it's just it's fascinating as you continue to get this data. That's going to feed how the architecture of the of health system websites are going to evolve in the future. And again, to your point, it's going to be based on a set of databases that can interact with each other and perhaps applying machine learning and, and artificial intelligence to to a lot of this data will help us. Uh, so it's not so manual. <laughs> well, I was being a little facetious about AI, but actually it seems like AI does inevitably solve all of our problems, I, so. I suppose. We'll be lucky if we have jobs at some point, right? <laughs> well, someone's got to figure out all that data, I suppose. Do you think that we're ever going to get to a point where a hospital website will feel like an Amazon-like website? I sure hope so. I, I know that traditionally healthcare has been a little bit slower to adapt to the Amazons and, and Googles of the world for good reason. I mean, we have to you know abide by evidence-based standards and we're dealing with people's lives. But I do think so. You know, Amazon just recently, late last year, announced their personalization engine that can be applied to a lot of uh, a lot of data around how patients and and communities are interacting with websites. And I think in combination with ingesting taxonomies and ingesting uh, data from these separate but uh, you know dichotomous but perhaps related databases, I think we're going to get there at some point. Well, I'm looking forward to that in the future. So that's that'd be really interesting. What a conversation. We we went deep and 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 my brain hurts a little bit from uh, talking so deep. I might I might have to go like just, you know, look at YouTube or something, which probably also has uh, a, t- a taxonomy and autonomy in it um, to help me suggest the next greatest cat video. <laughs> <laughs> I know that people listening in, they probably want to learn a little bit more about you, maybe connect with you online. What's the best way for them to find out more about you? Happy to uh, connect on LinkedIn. Um, but also, you know, if, if you're curious about uh, taxonomies, if you're curious about website information architecture, if you're curious about health education, healthwise.org is, is the company website. But uh, happy to provide any insight that, that I can uh, from my experience. Well, since you've been on both sides of the fence, I think that that insight is very valuable. We'll definitely link to your LinkedIn. We'll link out to uh, the HealthWise website as well so people can follow up with you on that. Thank you for all your great information. I really appreciate it, Josh. Thanks, Chris. At HealthGrades, Better Health gets a head start. They help millions of consumers each month to find and schedule appointments with their provider of choice. With their scheduling solutions and advanced analytics applications, 
They partner with more than 500 hospitals across the country to cultivate new patient relationships, improve patient access, and build customer loyalty. To learn more, visit them online at healthgrades.com. That is healthgrades.com. Many thanks to Josh for that great interview and some great insights. I realize, Reed, that this is probably a little bit of a, a very technical podcast that talked about topics that are near and dear to those of us in the digital world. But for those that are listening that may not be close to digital, I really hope that they get some good context, things they can think about as they're building out content. Absolutely. Absolutely. So all that stuff is good. And again, taxonomy, tagging. Uh, you kind of that whole world, metadata even, I think is going to become more and more relevant as these platforms mature and evolve and new things launch and things change. And so this can be really important to understand and strike that balance like it talks about uh, so that we're able to deliver the right content to people at the right time. So, well, before we get to recommendations, you want to talk a little bit about uh, upcoming conference just weeks away. Just weeks away, we have the Forum for Healthcare Strategists Conference. That's shorthand for the Summit of Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit, or their hashtag, since we were talking about hashtags, is HMPS. And usually uh, for their conference every year, they end it with a year number. So this year, it's going to be HMPS 19, May 21st to May 23rd in Chicago. Uh, it's going to be a great conference. And the show, Touchpoint, the show is going to be there in full force. N- not only am I going to be presenting about digital, the role of a digital strategist, but we're going to be uh, talking to people and we're going to be getting some interviews and we're going to be holding a panel session while we're there. So really encourage people that are attending in Chicago to reach out to us and let us know you're going to be there so we can connect with you. And a few other things coming up. We've got the, the Mayo Clinic annual conference on over in the fall. Some more to come on that as, long, as well as uh, the Healthcare Internet Conference. And so... Good stuff through the balance of the year. Before we get out of here, uh, maybe a couple of uh, recommendations. What do you What do you have today, Reed? I'm going to recommend an app today. It's actually an app that was created by a paint company called Sherwin Williams, mm. and the app itself is called Color Snap. And what drew me to this is that, you know, I think we, anyone who was, you know, sits around and looks at the walls for a period of time occasionally wonders, hey, I wonder what that wall would look like painted a different color. Maybe you're re- going to redo a room. Maybe you're going to move. Maybe you're selling a house or buying a new house. This app actually allows you to take photographs of your walls and then pull up um, the full color palette of Sherwin-Williams paints and actually on the pictures themselves superimposes the color of that particular paint swatch just so you can see what actually that color might look like on your walls. It's a really cool little tool. Not only does it allow you to kind of choose from your own color palette, it actually looks at the colors in your photograph and it makes recommendations on the types of colors that might be interesting to you uh, based on the color that they're seeing in the photograph. The app again is called Color Snap. It's by Sherwin Williams. I'm not, you know, endorsing them as a paint company per se, but um, it's really handy. Very cool. Yeah, I like that. I have to check that out. That'll be useful to me in various projects and things like that. I'm actually going to um, recommend an app as well, and it's a game. So it's something that's just 
you know, it's one of those things that you can do to kind of pass the time or if you just want to kind of mentally disconnect for a minute. But anyway, it's, it's, it's a game. It's called Draw It. You know, it's kind of like Pictionary-ish. So it gives you a word and you have to draw the word. And then you kind of have to keep drawing it until it realizes that you've drawn what it tells you to draw, if that makes sense. And then it accepts it and it gives you another word. And so you're trying to get more of them done than the people that you're playing against. So it may say like, you know, sword, piece of bread, house, you know, et cetera. And you're drawing these things as fast as you can with your finger and uh, until it recognizes like, yes, that's what that is. And uh, then it'll move on to the next word. So it's, just, it's kind of fun. And something you can just do kind of in, in one hand with your thumb or something like that just to uh, kind of pass the time. So Does it require other players? Or can you do it by yourself too? No, you can do it by yourself. I don't know if you're actually playing other players or if it's just a bunch of other computer-generated players or if you're actually playing real people or maybe both. That's kind of cool. I'll have to download that. Well, very cool. Good episode. Something a little bit different. Uh, kind of dovetails in nicely with some of the most recent episodes, even around measurement uh, and some of the content episodes that we've done. So uh, for another week, for Chris Boyer, I am Reed Smith, and uh, we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.